Welcome to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. On today's episode, my guest is Matthew Dow Smith. Matt is working on a comic book with Paul Harding and Ron Mars called Beasts of the Black Hand. Haven't heard of it? Well, it's a Kickstarter. And it ends November 30th. So, as the day this recording drops, on Thursday, there are just 14 days left to participate and get a copy of this 64-page, hardcover, oversized 9x12 graphic novel set near the end of World War I, and it involves Rasputin and monsters. We will talk about the project, Matt and I, and I will have a link to the Kickstarter project so you can check it out because, folks, this is something you must see to believe. This is art. And what better example, other than hearing from the creator himself, is taking a look at what they have to offer. So Matt and I will talk about the Kickstarter, plus some other things as well, and of course my questions about rest and relaxation. And coming up soon is the New Jersey Comic Expo. I plan to be there. It's this weekend coming up, the weekend before Thanksgiving in Edison, New Jersey. So if you're going, hope to see you there as well. And then I'll have another podcast next week, probably before Thanksgiving Day, so you have something to listen to while you're driving and traveling to visit friends and family. But now, on to my interview with Matthew Dow Smith, writer, artist of such titles as X-Files, Doctor Who, Batman 66, and now Beasts of the Black Hand. Matt, welcome to Creative Talks. Oh, thanks for having me. You know, I want to start out with your success. <laughs> it's a success okay. story. You started okay. at a young age, 21. Yes. Right? And then you were doing fill-ins and miniseries for years. And then it wasn't until you were like 40. Yeah. You know, you October Girl, Monkey Brain Comics, you break out. That's right. It's been kind of crazy ever since then. Um, you're not... I, it's not like I was doing super, you know, tiny projects. It's just I had like, you know, little, just little issues here and there. I did a lot of stuff at DC, a lot of stuff at Marvel. I did a couple short stories with Mike Mignola for Hellboy. So, I mean, there, there were all, you know, great jobs and really exciting. But I never really had those, never really had those long runs on anything. And then the minute I did the October Girl, which was one of those things where like, I'm 40 now, I'm going to do, there's this book I've always wanted to do, I'm just going to start doing it. And ever since I started doing it, I've been so busy, I don't have time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's still going. I mean, you haven't stopped yeah. making them. It's just yeah. when you can fit it in with other projects. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have, um, there are four issues out. There's um, four issues. Uh, I just finished up issue eight that we're going to start releasing those. Um, so yeah, you still, still sort of pick away at it, but yeah, you know, between, um, X-Files and, um, uh, more stuff at DC. Yeah. It's just finding, finding the time to do it, but it's a real passion project. So I always, I always come back to it. Um, it's never, it's never far from my mind. I actually did a couple of pages, uh, for a new issue, uh, just this weekend. Now you said you always wanted to do it. When did you first want to do that book and when did you feel that it was the time to do it well i mean i'll try to keep it short <laughs> um i i when i originally um in when i originally decided to do comics i actually wasn't intending to be a, an artist i was going to be a writer um 
that was really that was really kind of my goal. But I, I'd always been able to draw since I was a little kid, um, and so I just kind of started drawing my own stuff because I was I was at a college in Ohio, surrounded by cow farms, um, so there weren't a lot of options in uh, in the late '80s, early '90s for finding artists. So. Uh, I just started drawing them myself and, uh, I ended up getting a couple jobs as an artist and sort of once you, you know, once you're on that track, you know, you're, you're seen as an artist. So I, I spent literally, I spent decades, um, pitching, pitching this concept to every single editor I worked with as an artist. And they were like, yeah, that sounds great, but yeah, that doesn't really fit with what we're doing. So when I hit 40, I just said, you know, listen, <laughs> I'm just going to do it now. Cause, uh, it's, it's not, it's not gonna, um, it's not gonna just happen. Um, and I was starting to think that and then was approached by, uh, Chris Roberson at, uh, monkey brain press and our monkey brain comics. And, um, he said, we're going to do this new digital comic line. Um, we like you, we like your work. You can do whatever you want. I said, Oh, that's great. I've got this idea called the October girl. It's about this girl. And he goes, yep, that's good. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, uh, okay, I guess now I really am going to do it. So yeah, so that's how that came about. Um, but yeah, it's it, but since then it's just been, it's just been nonstop. I mean that uh, I think that that opened up uh, a lot of doors for me, both as a writer and as an artist. So and high profile properties too, like X Files, Doctor Who, and one of my favorites was when you worked on Batman '66, John Steed and Emma P. Yeah, I can't believe I got to do that. that was that's nice. so crazy. Oh yeah. They announced that book, and the day they announced they were going to do that book, I literally had—I can't remember what I was drawing. It must have been X Files. I literally had watched an episode both of Batman and of the Avengers um, that same day, and I was just tweeting. I tweeted about it, but um, yeah, I got very, very lucky. Those are those are two two big shows for me. Um, it was just absolutely insane to get to do that. Um, just a uh, fantastic experience. And Ian Edginton, who I've um, always wanted to work with, and we've kind of known each other since uh, CrossGen, sort of the last days of CrossGen, he came in and did some work for us. And um, yeah, so it was like, not only do I finally get to work with Ian, I get to do Batman and Steed and Peel. If people aren't familiar with it, I know this is an older work. I mean, we're going to talk about Beasts of the Black Hand next, but I urge them to please check that out because I did read many of those Batman 66 comics and love them. It was really fun to see them. And then when I saw that you were on the book, you know, if people have watched Batman, they now call it Batman 66, and uh, the Avengers, the original Avengers from the 60s, Steed and Peel. The, the real of real. Yes. <laughs> I've had guests that say that, the real ones. Just um, saying. And, and, well, I really enjoy them, too, and I used to watch them back when I was in college. Not in the 60s, guys. Settle down. I'm not that old. <laughs> I'm old, but I'm not that old. But, you know, I'd watch them in reruns, and I loved them, the black and white ones and the color ones. and Oh, yeah. They were just fantastic. And if people watch those shows, Matt captures a likeness perfectly. So you will be... It's like you're watching the show, but it's in comic format. You're not taken out by the art or anything. It's it's spot on. So I really, do, I really do try. <laughs> yeah, you did a great job. Nice work. Thank you. So Thank folks, you very if, much. if folks like those shows and you're not familiar with it, it's as it's as a collection now. You know, it's been collected as a trade. So get it. You'll be happy. With fantastic Mike Allred covers. Yes, they're just Bonus. great. Such a huge fan of his. It was so nuts when the. Uh, 
the editor said, oh, yeah, All Red's going to do some covers. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I can live with that. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. <clears throat> now, the latest and the greatest is this Kickstarter project. Now, as the date that this drops, there'll be about 14 days left. So all of you listening, listen carefully. Beast of the Black Hand, Matt, you're doing the art. We have this concept from sculptor Paul Harding. He's working with... Ron Mars on the writing of it, the, you know, all the uh, the dialogue and everything, and you're doing the art. And uh, now you've known Ron for like what, 15 years? Yeah, I've I've known Ron possibly like 17 years, but a very long time. Yeah. And familiar with Paul? Too? Yeah, um, Paul, Ron. Uh, after CrossGen, because Ron and I were at CrossGen together, I returned to upstate New York, and Ron, who had also lived there before, returned. Um, and Paul lives there in upstate New York. I literally was like less than a mile away from Paul. Um, I live in DC now, but I, I lived, I lived right around the corner from Paul for a couple of years. Um, so we're, we're, you know, it's a small community out just outside of Albany, uh, New York. Uh, and it's a small community of comic book people. And we all, uh, we all know each other and all friends and Paul's just fantastic. Speaking of Batman 66, pretty sure he's done a, uh, Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare bust from Batman, oh, which is, <laughs> yeah, which are, I, I need to get one of those for free. <laughs> hey, Paul. <laughs> but yeah, so we're, you know, we're all friends. Um, and I was just, just wrapping up my run of, of X-Files because I've um, been doing X-Files with uh, my friends Joe Harris and Jordi Belair at IDW for about three and a half years now. I was just wrapping it up and I was starting to figure out what am I going to do next. And Ron and I were at a convention in Seattle and sharing a hotel room, which, you know, I don't always recommend <laughs> for, for good friends, but, you know, we survive. Um, yeah, Ron said, was basically like, hey, you know, there's this um, thing that Paul and I have been talking about um, doing for Ominous Press. You know, would you maybe have time? Um, and just, you know, instantly jumped at, on it because they're such good friends of mine. Um, and Paul, you know, Paul's one of those guys who's sort of starting to spread his wings um, into comics and, you know, that's a really good idea for a book. I mean, it was an absolutely fantastic idea for a book. And um, so, yeah, so it didn't take a whole lot of, of talking to get me to sign on. And, you know, they'd, they'd already set it up at Ominous Press um, and uh, kind of got it, got the ball rolling. And then they have, now they're doing this Kickstarter to sort of finance the, the publishing and uh, all sorts of, all sorts of fun things. And since you're working with people that you know and that you've worked with, do you find it a little easier and smoother working on this project? No, it's sure hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 like I was a big police fan because I am old. I'm 46. I was a big police fan. If you ever seen them interviewed in the height of the police, where they're just always at each other and just giving each other a hard time? Yeah, that's <laughs> us. That's the three of us. Um, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. And Ron and I have worked together obviously a lot over the time that we've known each other. So, you know, he knows, he knows how to write to my strengths and he knows like where to leave space in a script for me to just kind of run with it a little bit or when he needs to tell me, no, this, this really has to be in there for it to be clear. So, um, it makes some of that stuff easier, but we, yeah, we just are absolutely merciless on each other. <laughs> really it's we're it's like brothers i mean it's yeah. really brutal <laughs> now that you've reached some success 
are you able to decide which projects you want to work on? Or is it still like, well, if the work comes this way, I'm just I'm going to take it? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the funny thing about comics. Um, you, you, boy, you really, you just have to take the, the projects that, that get offered you. Um, I mean, I do try to be a little bit choosy. I, I've never done a project just for the money. There's always something about the project that's interested me. But, you know, there have certainly been times just like, oh, please, just give me a project, any any sort of project. It's it's a you know, it's a little crazy. Um, and, I, you know, still figuring some of that out now, sort of post X-Files. And hopefully I think um, uh, Beast of the Black Hand uh, is, is sort of the first stage in it because we have plans for the we have plans for the book beyond that. Or at least I've been told by Paul and by Ron that they have other things that they want to do with this. Uh, and, you know, if we, this Kickstarter, one of the, one of the, um, uh, stretch goals is we're, we're going to do, um, a little preview of book two, uh, oh, that, okay. that, that they are planning. I have not been told what it's about. Um, but knowing Ron, it, it'll have horses in it because he knows I hate drawing horses, <laughs> really hate drawing horses. And, you know, within the first 10 pages of book one, there are horses. <laughs> right, because this is set uh, at the close, towards the end of World War One. Yeah, yeah, the, the sort of the final days uh, of World War One, um, and I guess the, the Treaty of Versailles. Um, and it's, we open with the death of Rasputin. Um, so the, everything in it is sort of based on real events, but we have kind of put our own spin on it. And... Um, well, I should, you know, Ron and Paula put their own spin on it because there are monsters in this thing and um, uh, some steampunk technology, things like that. Um, so we take it in a different direction, but we do. Everything is sort of a historical event. So we have the death of Rasputin and sort of the, the true story of what ends up ended up happening with Rasputin uh, is that he was probably assassinated by a British um, agent. Uh, named Rayner, the Oswald Rayner, um, who I don't know too much about, but obviously Paul and, and Ron, um, researched him greatly. Um, and yeah, like that's, that's kind of probably what really happened. He was probably, um, assassinated by this agent. And that's the star of this. That's the star of beast of beast of the black hand is, is Oswald. Stories like this. I always find so fascinating. Anything that is set in a historical period with true facts tied to it, it always makes you want to know a little bit more about what actually happened. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, the, the only <laughs> drawing, all the architecture is making me crazy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> There's so much architecture. Um, but it is fun. I, you know, I'm a big history buff myself. This isn't my particular period. Um, I'm more, uh, and I'm more of a sort of, um, British history nerd. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love, uh, you know, and we, we put as much sort of time into researching all this stuff as, as we possibly can. And we have folders and folders of photo reference. Um, with the nice thing about doing this specific period is you we have photo reference of a lot of these people, uh, and a lot of the, the places as they appeared at the time the story is happening. Uh, and you know, Ron basically just goes, okay, draw Versailles. And then I have to go draw Versailles. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, so I'm, I'm not saying that I have the hardest part of this job. Mm. I'm just saying I have the most time-consuming <laughs> part of this job. Um, but it is fun, and I love, I love um, history. I, uh, and 
I've gotten more into sort of alternative history uh, stories. There's a, a great British horror novelist named Kim Newman, and he's just he's one of the absolute best. And he does a he does a uh, he does a uh, series called Anno Dracula that is an alternate history of 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 the planet um, if Dracula won. And it's one of those things where, like, I read the back, I was like, oh, that sounds kind of stupid. <laughs> and then I read it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And now I'm just, you know, a massive fan of Kim and, and have sort of looked into more of, more of those sorts of stories. I agree with you. He was on my show. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? No, oh, he was the Halloween episode. <laughs> oh, th- what a perfect Halloween episode. Yeah, yeah. There's something that he and I may end up doing together in the future if I oh. can find the time. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of his. He's the only guy I've ever gone up to a convention. Uh, where I was at a writing, a horror writing convention, and I brought up a little stack of my comics. I was like, um, here are my comics. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, uh, I could not, cannot say uh, enough uh enough nice things about Kim, both as a writer and as a person, just absolutely phenomenal. Well, folks, episode 77, you can go back oh, and listen, go to, listen to I, I did. I talked to him. He was great. And he says, no, he's fantastic. October is a very busy month for him, believe it or not. Oh, <laughs> so, can you imagine that? <laughs> we all can I'll occasionally have one of those weird situations where I'm watching a DVD. I, I watched a Quatermass. I'm, I'm guessing oh, yeah. from your familiar. Yeah. So I was watching a, a Quatermass DVD and watching the special features. I'm like, Holy crap. There's Kim. <laughs> Kim's sitting there talking about Quatermass. I'm like, okay. Um, so it's a li- it is a little strange, but yeah, no, I'll have to go back and listen to that episode because he's he's great and it's it's funny. He's he's probably one of the best genre prose writers out there right now, and like he's just not as well known over here. It just always really surprises me. More people should read his stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, doing your research for the book, I'm wondering um, if you had a chance to see the Hammer version of uh, Rasputin, the Mad Monk. Oh, I told everybody I'm a huge Hammer fan because of Kim. Kim got me into <laughs> Hammer Horror. And uh, and um, I uh, I did. I, I, I told them all. And I actually don't tell anybody, but I actually used some of uh, some frames from that movie to design my Rasputin. Oh, excellent. Uh, I mean, I used the, the historical as well, but, um, you know, Chris, Christopher Lee did such a great performance of, of Rasputin. So when I needed some good face, facial expressions and I needed to figure out how the hair would fall, particularly that crazy beard, I would pull up some frames from that movie and just be like, oh, that's what that looks like. Oh, great. I want to look for that. About your art. Um, now, you use a lot of shadowing, but you also excel with real-world people dealing with real human physiques rather than superheroes who are the perfect specimen of human physical development. Not that you don't like it, but this seems to be your forte. Yeah, it's, um, I, I mean, I learned to draw basically because I was a Doctor Who fan. So when I was a little kid, I was drawing like X-Wings and guys in coats. Um, <laughs> you know, so I just sort of, as my art developed as a kid it just was always about people you know i was always interested in drawing people and people in clothes because that's what you know that's this the stuff that i saw like doctor who like the avengers like star wars you know it was all people in in clothes it wasn't people in sort of spandex um and it wasn't until later that i started you know that i started getting into comics and and drawing sort of um you know more traditional superhero stuff i love real world stuff it's it's um so much it's not that it's more fun to draw 
but it is more fun to draw. <laughs> um, you know, capes only kind of go a few sort of ways, but you know, if you can draw a guy in a suit and have him move and have that move realistically, I mean, that's really tricky and it's an interesting challenge and a lot of fun. Now, folks who listen to the show, they know I'm a Doctor Who fan. Who was your first Doctor that you watched on television? My first Doctor was Tom Baker. Um, I started on the second episode of his second story, Ark of Space, mm. mm-hmm. and have been a fan ever since. Um, but my favorite Doctor is probably Sylvester McCoy. Oh, interesting. Interesting. My, much maligned. Particularly, yeah, much maligned. But that last season, and I, I fully credit, which is, you'll appreciate this, so Andrew Cartmel is a friend of mine now. Oh. The, the, the script editor <laughs> on those last seasons of, of Sylvester McCoy's um, run. And, uh, you know, I liked where they were going with it. Um, I liked how they were, you know, the so-called Cartmel master. Guys, we're really going to drop down the Doctor Who nerd hole here. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Cartmel master plan, um, all that stuff. I loved all that stuff. Um, and I actually, like I had, I'd done the Doctor Who comics for a while and I was kind of like, I was a little restless. It's like either I, I wanted to sort of be doing it full time or I wanted to be able to write more of them. Um, and my editor was kind of like, yeah, we, you know, it's too many people and, and which I totally understand. So I kind of stepped away from Doctor Who comics for a while. And then I get a call from him like six months later saying, are you still done with Doctor Who comics? I'm like, yeah, you know, I got other things going on. Uh, and he goes... I need covers for Doctor Who classics and I would really love to use you. I'm like, well, you know, and he's like, they're the seventh doctor covers. And I'm like, yep, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I enjoyed that last season too. I thought it was the best of all of his. And, uh, one, I wanted to see just one more episode. If they could have worked it out and made it a full four part story would have been ghost light. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the much, the, it's not so much maligned as just sort of, befuddling um yeah who wrote that mark platt i think that was mark platt so. and people may not know this but that was the actually the last one filmed the last one they shot yeah survivor was the last one shown and then they dubbed over the last few words you know where are we headed now well who knows yeah, and yeah, yeah. when they found out they were canceled they had to come back in studio and record that dialogue yeah which is awful yeah <laughs> can you imagine having to do that I like Ghostlight a lot. I do not. I did not understand most of it until I listened to the commentary track because mm-hmm. commentary tracks are your friend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I mean, I really like those last two seasons, which is phenomenal. He was such an interesting doctor, especially when he started getting darker. Yes. Uh, but, but yeah, so um, Andrew and I may end up doing something together. We've been talking about that for a couple of years. It's phenomenal. He's doing, he's co-writing the, um, Rivers of London um, oh, okay. comics, a Titan with Ben Aronovich. So, um, so we were talking about maybe doing a comic book together. I just talking to everybody about doing comics. <laughs> well, this is my life. Here's another plug and recommendation. Way back when I started this last year, um, I talked to Paul Cornell. Oh, I love Paul. At yeah, the time, he was working on his last Doctor Who series. I hope for now, but I know he's you know he's got to move on. It was the third Doctor series that he did. One of my favorite Doctors. So yeah, and it's a fantastic miniseries. Oh, I loved it. Him and Chris Jones. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is just absolutely phenomenal. It's probably of all the stuff Titan's done. And believe me, I, like, I love particularly Rachel Stott's, Stott's artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably my favorite of, of, of all the ones they've done because it's such a great blend between the two. And that's a tough period to pull off of Doctor Who. It is. 
it is, but yeah. I love it. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> it's Unit. I love Unit. <laughs> <laughs> Back to you and your art. Now, you used to work pencil inks. Now you're doing all digital? All digital, yeah. Wow. I don't. I, the only time I ever draw on paper with a pen or a pencil is um, if I'm at a show and someone wants a sketch, or if I'm, you know, stuck in a line at the post office and have my have my notebook with me. So you do sketches at conventions still? Yeah, not good ones. So when I see you, I can say, <laughs> "I like a horse." <laughs> yeah, I'll punch you. <laughs> there will be blood on my table, and I'll deserve uh, it. <laughs> but you know, I don't. I, I I'm not a not a very physical person, so it won't be a lot of blood. Um, but yeah, no, I switched to digital um, a few years ago. It's actually um, there's a a Doctor Who story I wrote with uh, an artist, Mitch Gerads, who um, has now gone on. He's doing Mr. Miracle mm -hmm. at DC. But I was seeing Mitch's work, and you know, Mitch works digitally. But I was seeing these pages, and he's you know, he's at least fifteen. 15 years, maybe even, well, maybe not 20, but he's at least 15 years younger than me. And the work was just absolutely stunning. And I was looking at this going, how do I compete with this? I was drawing a Doctor Who issue, writing a Doctor Who story and getting Doctor Who art from another artist. And it basically like, I'm staring at my pages going, no, these are just nowhere near good enough anymore. So my way of sort of like trying to compete with some of these new people coming up whose art is just so amazing was to go to digital and start to experiment some more and try some different things. I mean, it's still within the realm of sort of what I do, which is a lot of shadows and, and, and hopefully, you know, more realistic without being stiff, um, but still have, have some new textures and stuff in there. Does it help with your productivity? Is it um, help you to meet deadlines doing the digital method? It does. I'm much faster. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I kind of go through periods of like, incredible production, like obsessive workaholic production where you're doing, I think my record was like 10 pages in a single day of pencils and inks, but that was a very extreme case. And now with digital, you know, I'm definitely faster, but you know, you still have, you know, you still have those days where you're just kind of staring at the wall going, I don't want to draw today. <laughs> um, but so I, I kind of go back and forth, but the, the digital stuff really, once I sort of worked out a method and, and every artist sort of works out their own method for how to work digitally, once I had worked out a method, um, it was actually pretty fast. I mean, you know, I, I try to keep to around 10 pages a week or so, though, you know, often that's divided up between different projects. And I, I guess you'd be able to tweak your art and adjust things kind of on the fly since you're doing it digitally. It allows you to just test a few things without having to redo everything. Yeah, except then you like send Ron and Paul a page and they go, oh, <laughs> hey, can you make more machinery on that one thing? And you go, oh, fine. But it is much easier to do. I mean, in the old days, you had to redo the page completely from start to scratch if it was to that point. And now, you know, you can just kind of go in. You just go in and erase the ink line, which is like the undo button is the greatest, uh, the greatest invention of all time. I love it. <laughs> Are there other artists that you've spoken with and collaborated with that also work digitally? And have you picked up some tips from them and some lessons, some you know, key takeaways? I did actually. Well, the, the, I got into drawing digitally because there's a, an artist who hasn't really had his break yet, um, Doug Hills. But he did a lot of stuff with what was then Manga Studio. And he, he did a lot of their tutorials for him. And he was a friend of mine. He's actually he's another one of those sort of upstate New York friends. 
um, with Paul and Ron. And he actually, you know, it's the guy who does the official tutorials for the program. And I'd call him up and be like, hey, can you come over and show me how to make this work? <laughs> um, you know, so he, that was extremely helpful. Um, but then there's also, um, I just did a, one of the books I, I wrote and co-wrote with Jody Hauser, um, X-Files Origins, which was a sort of more young adult um, X-Files comic. And one of the artists on it, we had two great young artists, um, Corin Howell and Chris Finolio. And Chris actually was showing me like, oh, here's how you use these special perspective rulers. And he would send me like little video tutorials that he just made. So um, it's funny. It's like everybody kind of everybody sort of helps each other out uh, and gives each other tips. Um, and there's a great guy, Ray Frendon, who um, designs brushes. He designs digital brushes for uh, Manga Studio, which is now Clip Studio. And he designs these brushes. And, you know, I can on Twitter kind of ask him how to do things. <laughs> and he'll just be like, because there was a new version of Clip Studio and I didn't know how to put his brushes in. And he's like, oh, just do this. I'm like, yes. Um, but it's great. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, comics is a very small community. And, you know, the artists, most of the artists in comics, you know, who are working, who are working steadily and working professionally have sort of crossed paths at one way or in, in one way or another. So we're, we're often particularly now with Twitter and Facebook, um, asking each other's, each other questions and sort of the, the rule is, you know, ask, you ask someone questions, they help you out. Then the time someone asks you questions, you help them out. So it all, everybody is kind of helping out. Now, Ron has enlisted his go-to colorist for Beasts of the Black Hand. Yeah. He's fantastic. He's really very good. Is that Niraj? Am I saying that correctly? I, I you know, I'm going to say it wrong, but yes, I've been saying it as Niraj. Um, whether that's correct or not, I do not know. Um, but he's he's fantastic. Worked with Ron on um, a couple of other books. Um, I think The Protectors, which was a, a, a book with a football player whose name completely escapes me because I was too busy watching Doctor Who. Um <laughs> But he did this book, Protectors, and, and he's, he's kind of Ron's um, go-to, go-to colorist um, on a lot of these things. And he's been, it's been absolutely fantastic. And it looks great. And what are some of the most important things you look for in a colorist that's working over your, your pencils and inks, or your digital pencils and inks, I should say? I, it's going to sound stupid, but the thing that I look for is a colorist who doesn't say, oh, coloring you is going to be easy. Because a lot of colorists have said that to me. They look at my stuff because it's such stark black and white and think, oh, this will be really easy. No, it's actually like, like 10 times harder to do a really uh, stark style. And, um, you know, the people I, I tend to work with over and over again, people like Jordi Belair, who's just, you know, absolutely fantastic. And I can't believe that she will work with me. Um, you know, they, they spend a lot of time really getting the colors just right. And it's, it's funny because Niraj, you know, picked up like almost immediately on an approach that worked um, on this book. And I, I, I think like I had one tweak and that was for him to fix something that I screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> like I just hadn't quite made it clear enough, uh, you know, because there's magic in this and there's monsters and there's, uh, tech, you know, steampunk technology. So, you know, you, there are ways that the color can bring that to life um, that you just can't do in, uh, in black and white. So it's probably a good idea to 
tell your colorist to do that <laughs> instead of just like leaving it there and uh, moving on to the next page. Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's absolutely fantastic. I, I could not be happier. And folks can go into the Kickstarter page and actually see a sample of your work colored. And I would yeah. think it, it would be more difficult because you use a lot of shadow. And if someone just slaps color on there, they can crush everything out. Yeah, exactly. Just a big blob. So it really does enhance the artwork. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real, you know, it's it, everything in comics when it's working well is a, is a balancing act, a balancing between the, the writing and the art and the colors and the lettering. And I don't think people give letterers um, a whole lot of uh, or don't give them the credit that they deserve. We're working with Troy Pateri, um, who I've worked with on several things and Ron's worked with a lot. He's just, you know, a fantastic letterer, um, you know, and and. I don't think people necessarily think about the lettering as, as much as they should because the right, the right letterer really makes or breaks a book just as much as the right artist does. It's sort of like the utility company. When you don't have power, you're, you're really upset. But you don't think about it when it's there. And the same thing for a good letterer. If they do a good job, no one really notices. But if it's bad, it's like, oh, look at this. So it's kind of a given. People expect it. Well, I would like to point out that now that I'm digital, I pay attention to the power company a lot more. And I, <laughs> and I pay attention to weather reports of lightning storms um, a lot more than I ever did. But yeah, no, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're the utility, the utility player. Um, and people sort of treat it, uh, well, I, I, that's, maybe that's not fair. I, I think people have a tendency sometimes to think of that as more of a production task and not a storytelling task. Um, but it, it, it really is. I, I always recommend, and this is the thing I discovered when I lettered the first few issues of October Girl, is every writer and every artist should try to letter one book that they've done. Mm. And you will learn so much. And what you often learn is, yeah, I'm nowhere near good enough to do this. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, there's the way, the, the way you use the lettering, the balloons to, to force the, the reader's eye through a page in a certain way. There's a whole art form. There's a whole language to it. And I just, like, dipped my toe into it, um, lettering the October Girl. And, you know, people like Troy, um, you know, who are just really just masters of, of controlling specifically just – words and balloons and where they go on a page. Yeah, I would think it would really help any creator who has done multiple jobs of a book to appreciate the other person's task so they can communicate better what they want in a way they can understand it even better. Yeah, and, and as an artist, I mean, as a writer, you should do it so you get a better sense of how many words actually fit in a panel, how many panels actually fit on a page. And as an artist, you, you learn to you learn to leave room for the balloons and you, you sort of start to figure out where you need to leave the room. Um, I, I always, when I do layouts, I always doodle in where the balloons are going to go. And, you know, nine times out of 10, you know, the, the letter is going to put them in exactly that place anyways. Um, and then every once in a while one doesn't, and then you're like, is this wrong? And then no, no, it's good. Um, but you know, when you design pages and I, I told, you know, again, working, um, working on the X-Files origins comic, uh, as a writer with, with two young artists was telling them, you know, you know, plan your pages for those balloons, figure out where you want them to be and figure out how they work with the composition. Um, and, you know, working with Troy, um, is great because 
you know, again, Troy and I worked together several times. So, you know, just leave room, you know, Troy will figure it out. Troy's great. <laughs> Troy always, you know, Ron will give me some, you know, crazy page with like 12 panels on it and a bunch of dialogue. And you're like, I'm not sure how to make this work. I'll do my best to like leave room for Troy. And if there's a problem, it's digital. We can shift things around. But so it's good to have a team that, that that's that's familiar and comfortable um, with each other. I think the thing, the one part of this that's kind of really new um, for for a lot of us is, is doing it as a Kickstarter um, and and turning turning to turning to social media and Kickstarter to sort of get this project across the finish line. Um, it's something that that Ominous Press has done on a couple of books. Um, I think. Uh, Bart Sears, uh, Bart Sears has a great sort of how to draw, how to draw cool looking superheroes book that they did. And, and then we're going to do this, um, and get a, you know, a real nice hardcover, uh, edition of this book. Back to the project, there's going to be, uh, different reward levels for people that contribute who pitch in and there's different dust jacket covers for the book by different artists. Yeah, when we're just starting to see some of those covers, and it's just insane. (laughs) They just sent me a new one today from Mark Nelson that is just like, oh my god, it's just nuts. It's just we're getting some really, getting some pieces that I'm I'm really really excited about from people. It's just nuts. And Paul has a cover. It's a limited edition. I think it might be like a hundred copies of one of his sculptures on the cover. Yeah, and it looks so cool. (laughs) It looks really good. Yeah, it's a. It's it's obviously two dimensional, but he he did a shot uh, of of one of the digital sculptures he's done of of one of the characters that that's from the book. You'll have some stretch goals coming up and some incentives for that. Let me just throw this out there: you guys probably already thought of this, but I was like, oh, oh, here's one. Yeah, yeah. Hey, take ahead. take that cover that Paul's going to do with the statue, yeah. and then have one that could be embossed if you reach a certain level. Don't encourage. That. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Inc- they will do that in a heartbeat. Because I have actually, um, you know, so Paul, uh, for those of you who don't know Paul's work, and like we said earlier, check it out. Paul Harding does. He designs a lot of toys. He designs uh, book covers. Um, and he, one of the things he sometimes does is he'll do like that sort of embossing thing for sort of special edition DVD cases. Um, so he'll do that in a heartbeat <laughs> without question. I wonder what what level stretch goal that'll be. Well, that's for the accountants to figure out. <laughs> yeah, that's their problem. Listen, I'm just drawing this thing, and <laughs> I'm drawing this thing and uh, drawing horses and Versailles <laughs> and a palace, a Russian palace. That was a lot of fun. One more thing about the uh, the Kickstarter. One of the packages, or a couple of them, have an opportunity to get Death Wish coffee with it. As well. Yeah. Now I'm yeah. not. I've seen the McCons, and are they local to the New York area? Did they start in upstate? They're another upstate company, not not far from from Paul actually, um, and they've been big supporters of sort of the the local um, comic book scene and been on that scene for a while. They're great guys. Um, really, uh, yeah, really, really, just great guys. And obviously, you know, as comic book creators, we're all obsessed with caffeine, um, so it's it's kind of the perfect marriage. Um, but yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they've been big supporters of us and, uh, we're, we're, um, more than willing to, to step in and, and, and add some perks 
Ooh, that could oh, be a bad. Hey. That's a that's a bad pun <laughs> for people old enough to remember percolators, <laughs> which is like me and you. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's Everybody it. else is like, I got to no, Google no. that. What's that? Yeah. What is it? What is a percolator? Uh, oh, I remember those. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone can look this up on Kickstarter. This project, Beast yeah. of the Black Hand. I will put a link in the show notes so folks can just click on it and go right to it. Oh, Check fantastic! It out. Thank you. Multiple levels to choose from. Something for everyone's budget. And believe me, it's take a look at the work that's on the page. I mean, we, we've listened to the creator, one of the creators. Take a look at it, and you'll you'll see what I mean. It's definitely it's well worth it. I just have some fun questions for you. I ask all my guests. What do you like to do for rest and relaxation? Wow, that is a difficult question. Because <laughs> it's going to make me sound like a really terrible, just absolutely awful human being workaholic. Um, I, I, do, I do obviously like hanging out with my wife, who uh, is, is fantastic. And, um, but I also, you know, the thing that actually really helps me um, relax is I, I write prose. Which is... <laughs> I go and just work in a different way, which makes me feel just terrible. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I watch a, I watch a, a lot of Doctor Who, and God help me, my my wife has gotten me into the Great British Bake Off. Oh, <laughs> which I'm sort of horrified. But I'm sitting watching the show, going, "Oh, this is actually really interesting." <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I watch a lot of, uh, watch a lot of British cooking shows with my wife and, uh, I read a lot and, um, uh, play, uh, play music though. Um, with my work schedule, I haven't been able to play much music. Well, my next question, a little more difficult. Okay. You're stuck on a deserted Island. Oh God. You have one book, one book with you, either something that you have read or something that you want to read. What is that book? It's tough. And it's actually tough for, uh, a very specific reason because it's one of two books and I can't decide which of two books because the two books instantly leapt uh, to mind. It's either Dune by Frank Herbert or it's The Keep by F. Paul Wilson, um, which is bizarre because I've literally drawn the comic book adaptation of The Keep with F. Paul Wilson. So yeah, so Dune, <laughs> Dune by Frank Herbert, uh, that would be my, that would be my book. You thought I was going to have to think about I, that more, didn't you? You, you did. You did very <laughs> yeah. well. I know it's hard Sorry. for a lot of people. It's tough to narrow it down, but you did it. That's it. <laughs> Last one. Yes. You're off the island. What is your beverage of choice? It can be alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Um, the alcoholic version of that is uh, Newcastle. Okay. That's. Uh, I was never a beer guy, and then uh, I discovered Newcastle, and. Um, which I just realized now, oh, that's where John Constantine is from. <laughs> Homeblazer. I'm really not smart. <laughs> it's a fine brew. I've Maybe that's it. why yeah. I like it. Um, yeah, but it's, you know, uh, it's coffee. <laughs> it's, it's, you know. And of course, it's Death Wish coffee. Oh, that's, oh, I should have said that. Oh, <laughs> God, I'm, the guys are going to kill me. I'm of here to help. <laughs> of course it's Death Wish coffee. It's my favorite coffee to drink because occasionally they'll give me bags of it, <laughs> which is really nice. Well, you have some other stuff coming up too. Uh, work, you have the beauty number 17. You did the art oh, for that. Yeah. yeah. yeah End of this month. Comps. Yeah, I just got the comps today. Yeah, my friend Jeremy Hahn, who's just a... Fantastic artist, um, actually, and worked uh, worked at Top Cow, um, where Ron was working for a long time as well. 
Yeah, he asked me to come step in and, and do a, an issue of his creator-owned book. There's a, another writer involved as well, and I am terrible because I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, but, yeah, they had me come in and do a, a fun little 20-page story, and it's all people in suits. <laughs> it's all people in normal clothes. And then I had to draw New Orleans during Mardi Gras. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. So, yeah, that's coming out at the end of the month. Very excited about that. It's a great series, too. Um, I, I was familiar with it just because of Jeremy, um, but I hadn't actually like sat down and really read it. And it's actually, um, it's a really interesting sort of almost pre post-apocalyptic storyline. Um, it's sort of a science fiction thriller. Um, and it's really interesting. And then a lot of people get shot. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people get shot. Anything else coming out, uh, in the near future? Well, more October girl soon. Um, couple other secret things that i can't talk about yet um but i mean you know breaking news here we we literally we're just on we were just on the phone this week um talking about that book too of, of beasts of the black hand and and kind of how quickly i would be able to jump jump on it um which you know is give me a script ron <laughs> give me a, and no horses this time fewer cars because cars are terrible to draw can we just just set one of these like in the Antarctic? <laughs> just one, maybe just half of one. I'd be all over that. Now coming up this weekend, this is going to drop Thursday, the Thursday before Thanksgiving. This weekend, New Jersey Comic Expo. Ron Marsh is going to be there. So if people are going, they have questions, they want to ask Ron directly about the Kickstarter. He will be there. And just remember, when he says which book he would have on a desert <laughs> island, he's lying because Ron can't read. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Told you, it's like brothers. Just kinda, you kind of got to dig in there. Just make fun of him as much as humanly possible. He loves it. <laughs> Tell him that, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> that might be bad. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me this week on Creator Talks. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creator Talks. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe. It's free. A new interview will be available each week, and sometimes there'll be a second, maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod. There I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight comics from my personal collection. Don't forget to visit my website, creatortalks.com. There I have listed the latest episode on the homepage, plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site, I'll be posting my recommended reading picks, as well as written interviews with creators. Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well. And I thank you for making the time to listen to this one, your best source for comic book writers, artists, and creators. There are more interviews in the works, and you never know who it might be. 
It is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week. I'd like to thank my executive co-producer, who makes this possible, Mrs. Calloway. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.